Okay, well, I've wondered this question. Why would anyone name their child Jonah? Anybody know who this is? Okay, Jonah Hill. Okay, he's a two-time Academy Award-nominated actor. Okay, and I was wondering, why would any Bible-reading person, why did his parents name him Jonah? The reluctant prophet. I, I think a better title for Jonah is the disobedient prophet. Okay, he got, he's famous for being swallowed by a fish because he disobeyed God. And uh, God, in his mercy, rescued him. Interesting, Jonah Hill's name is Jonah Hill Feldstein. He's Jewish, okay? So, makes me wonder, I would like to ask his parents, why did you name your son Jonah? Was it because you named your other child Judas and didn't have any other kind of (laughs) bad biblical characters that you wanted to give a name to? Um, But we're going to think about this idea. Would you ever name your child Jonah? So let's jump in and and look at this story. Four short chapters, but are packed with spiritual truth. And uh, even as I was reading this, I I thought, you know, for a parent that didn't... Anybody know, have a friend named Jonah? Anybody? Okay, a few people. What about anybody have a friend named Judas? Okay, not quite as popular... Okay, but some some Jonas, interesting. Well, we're going to think about that a little bit later. But just imagine if, uh, say, Jonah Hill's parents, they, let's say they didn't, they hadn't read the Bible, though, they were Jewish, and uh, that one day they did, their son knew that Jonah was in the Bible and he wanted to hear the story. Imagine them sitting down with him to read the story for the first time with him. And it starts this way. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us and we will not perish. So let's start with this from the very beginning. Okay, Nineveh is uh, a city that's currently uh, in Iraq, I believe it is. Okay, but there's some historical evidence about it. Uh, As it turned out, uh, they were um, a difficult people. Um, Some of the different records that have been kept uh, about them, one is that it says... um, One ancient record said, Nineveh was the capital of one of the cruelest, vilest, most powerful, and most idolatrous empires in the world. For example, writing of one of his conquests, Ashumasarpal II boasted, I stormed the mountain peaks and took them. In the midst of the mighty mountain, I slaughtered them. 
Their blood I dyed the mountain red like wool. The heads of their warriors I cut off, and I formed them into a pillar over against their city. Their young men and their maidens I burned in the fire. And then regarding one captured leader, he wrote, I flayed him. His skin I spread upon the wall of the city. So his enemy, he peeled the skin off him and put it on the wall. So they were known for this. And this is why Jonah fled when God told him to go to Nineveh. The Ninevites had this reputation. And so he had no desire at all to go to them. As it said, God said, Go to them because their wickedness has come up before me. And yet, though they were so wicked, so God wanted to bring his judgment upon them, but he was going to give them one last time a chance to repent. But it said, no, Jonah fled and ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. So if you see in the map here, they believe Tarshish was all the way over in Spain. Okay, that's a long way he was planning to go. It's like God was saying, hey, uh, Julie, I want you to go for me over to Tustin. And Julie runs to LAX and she gets on a plane to Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. You know, just total opposite, way, way far away. Okay, I mean, it's... And imagine if you're little Jonah's parents and you're little Jonah Hill's parents and for the first time you're reading this story. God told you to go here, but you didn't want to, and so you planned to go way. You just weren't going to disobey God a little bit. You you were going to really disobey God. So he ran from them. He fled from the Lord. But then it says, the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, a violent storm, so bad that the ship was going to break up. What did the sailors do? They were afraid, and they cried out each to his own God. So we know they're, they're Gentiles here, and they have many different gods. And each soldier was so afraid of losing their life that they cried out to their God. And then they were practical. They threw things overboard so the ship wouldn't sink. They are afraid of dying. And this book is an incredible book of contrasts. Here they're, they're concerned they're going to perish, they immediately think of crawling out to their God. But Noah, what does he do? He goes down below the deck. He lays down and falls asleep. He's given up. He is so upset at God that God would have him to go possibly have mercy on these Ninevites. So upset with God that he is just fleeing from him, going totally the opposite way. And now he's just given up. God just kill me. I just assume die in this ship. I hope this ship just sinks and I die. What a contrast between these, quote, unholy Gentiles that the Ninevites were, were one of, and then this prophet of God, Jonah. He was a prophet. Maybe that's why Jonah Hill's parents named him Jonah. He's a prophet. A prophet is supposed to be a spokesperson for God, obedient to God, bringing God's word to his people. 
And then it says, the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he'll take notice of us and will not perish. So here's the prophet who's supposed to be calling people to God. He goes down below deck and falls asleep. And the Gentile captain has to come to him and say, hey, why don't you pray to your God, prophet? Everything's backwards in this story. The man of God is not a man of God. These Gentile believers who are supposedly unspiritual and uncaring, they're concerned about their lives, and they call out to their God, and they tell the prophet of God to pray. It's all backwards. Why is that? So imagine little Jonah Hill's parents start the story of this. They tell him this much of the story. Well, little Jonah, what do you think of the story so far? Probably little Jonah's got tears in his eyes. Why did you name me Jonah? Probably a good question. So far, Jonah doesn't look like too noble a person here. Going on, it says, Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who's responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? Where is your country? From what people are you? He answered, I'm a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. Oh, this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? I mean, they they already knew that he was running away from the Lord because he'd already told them. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they asked him, what should we do do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Oh, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it'll become calm. I know it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. The contrasts continue. Okay? They take initiative. The sailors, they say, come, let us cast lots. Now, this casting of lots is an an interesting phenomenon that we see in the Old Testament. And uh, I looked at a few things about that. Uh, Casting of lots were used by the priests when they decided which of two lambs to sacrifice. Uh, they were used, these are the Hebrew priests, the Jewish priests. Um, also, when the, the uh, priests and their, uh, the dates that they were supposed to go and serve at the temple were figured out by this casting of lots. When uh, the Jewish tribes entered the promised land, they cast lots to determine which area each tribe uh, should live in. And then, most famously perhaps, when Judas uh, committed suicide, the disciples cast lots to figure out who the next disciple should be to replace him. So we tend to think of casting lots as like shooting craps or gambling or, you know, it was a totally secular thing. Uh, but in the Old Testament, it was a legitimate way of God leading people. Uh, and that bothers some people. I, I believe, we, we don't see it in the New Testament, and I believe that's because God's given us the Holy Spirit. And with the coming of the Holy Spirit in the personal way the Holy Spirit directs us, we don't have need for the, Old Test, uh, for the casting of lots to figure out God's, God's direction. Uh, and that's something I, I praise God for. 
uh, how wonderful that we have the Holy Spirit to lead us like that. But that's what these sailors did, and perhaps their casting of lots was not exactly the, the Jewish way or the, the Jewish idea, but it was a spiritual act. It wasn't a total uh, secular thing. So they were trying to f- figure out a solution so that they didn't have to die. They were concerned about life, so they cast lots. And then it falls on Jonah. Hmm. This guy's already told us that he's running away from his God. The lots just fell on him, so they go and they start pumping him with questions. The most important one is, what have you done? Okay, you told us that you're running from the Lord, but what did you do? You must have done something really bad. Because this big storm has come, the lots fell on you, buddy. You, we're going to die because of you. Why don't you come clean, pal? Okay? And he answers them, I'm a Hebrew, I worship the Lord, Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Oh, this is a different God than the many gods. This is the God of heaven. I worship the Lord who made the sea and the land. This is the almighty God. Wow. When they heard that, they were terrified. This is the most high God. And especially this part, who made the sea and the land. Oh, if your God made the sea and this storm just suddenly happened, we know where this storm came from. It came from your God, who you're fleeing from. What did you do? You've done something bad and we're going to die for it. And he tells them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. I don't care. I don't want to serve this God if he is the kind of God that wants me to go and give the Ninevites a chance to repent. That's not, I, I would just assume die as to do that. He was ready to die. Throw me in. The sea will become calm. I know it's my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Wow. The Gentiles here so concerned about life. And Jonah has no concern. And then they hear about the Most High God, and they're terrified. They revere this God, and they believe He's controlling the wind and, this, and the waves. He is the Most High God. They are very sensitive to spiritual things. They cast the lots because they have, are interested in spiritual things and want to find a spiritual solution. To great contrast to to Jonah, who's he just rather die than obey God. Well, little Jonah, Mr. and Mrs. Feldstein say, how do you like the story so far? Now he's really starting to blubber. Mama, why did you name me Jonah? Can you imagine if you were named after Jonah and you're hearing this story? Why would a parent name their child Jonah? Moving on. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they couldn't, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, Oh, Lord, please don't let us die for taking this man's life. Don't hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. 
At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to Him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. So just before this, Jonah tells him, just throw me overboard and the sea will grow calm. Okay? Jonah doesn't care about his own life. It's almost as if he's willing to commit suicide. His life means nothing to him. The fact that he's created in God's image, his life means nothing. Just throw me overboard. Then we look at these Gentiles, and what are they saying? He's given them permission to throw them overboard, but they, 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 they're not willing to do it. Instead, they try to row back to land. No, there's got to be some other way. We, we don't want to kill you. We don't want to have blood on our hands. This isn't right. He's an innocent man. Perhaps uh, we can't do this. They call out to God again. Here, they're not calling out to their gods. Now they're calling out to the Lord. They have already made the God, the Most High God, their God now. They've heard there's a Most High God who controls the land and the sea and the heavens. And this time they call out to Him. Talk about spiritual sensitivity. Here, Jonah doesn't want to go to them because he just his only picture of them is they're a, a violent people that are ruthless. And he totally can't see how spiritually sensitive they are. And they call out to God, his God now. They're calling out to his God. Oh, Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. And eventually, though they didn't want to do it, they see no other recourse. And so they throw him over, overboard, and the sea grows calm. And then look what they do. They greatly feared the Lord. Not only that, they offered a sacrifice to the Lord. So they apparently took some of the animals that, that were on their ships that they were going to eat, on their ship that they were going to eat, and they sacrificed it as an offering, a thanksgiving offering to honor, to revere the Lord. Not only that, they made vows to Him. We can only imagine what, their, what they vowed to do, that they would follow Him. Make him their one and only God. They would put aside their idols and worship him as the most high God. We can only speculate, but they made vows to him. What an incredible stark contrast. Jonah with no regard for life, could care less about his relationship with God. And then these people that are Gentiles, just like the Ninevites, that he's unwilling to go to, he completely misses their incredible spiritual appetite and sensitivity. It's all backwards. Well, little Jonah, what do you think of the story now? Tears are coming down his cheeks. He got ate by a fish? And the story continues. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, In my distress I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. 
I said, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surround me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. But I, with a song of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. Salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. And maybe Mr. Feldstein hearing this story perhaps for the first time, gets a little bit of hope. It says, oh, see, Jonah, there, there's a good side here. Jonah repents. He realizes what he did was wrong. And he prays and calls out to God to rescue him. So he does turn back to God. He's a good man. Maybe little Jonah starts wiping the tears from his eyes. Oh, maybe he is. What's interesting, all these things that he does, we see are what the Gentile sailors have already done. They called out for help. They cried for help. They looked to heaven. And then in verse 8 it says, those who cling to worthless idols. So he's, as he's, even when he's in the belly of this fish and he's thinking of these Gentiles, he can only think of them clinging to their idols even though he just witnessed where they already have thrown away their idols. They didn't cling to him. As soon as they heard of the Most High God, they cast away their idols and began to pray to the Lord. But he didn't see it. He missed it. And then he says, with a song of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. Oh, thanksgiving and sacrifice. The Gentiles beat him to it just a few minutes before. What I have vowed, I will make good. Yeah, they beat him to that too. But he acknowledges that salvation comes from the Lord. He does repent after all that extreme disobedience to God. And after not seeing how God was at work and having been thrown overboard and feeling like he was ready to die at any minute, It takes a fish swallowing him, a miraculous thing so that he doesn't die. It takes that extreme until he finally decides to repent. And God vomits him up on the dry land back to where he started. Then in chapter 3, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Okay, The first time was telling him to go to the Ninevites. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city and he proclaimed, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Okay, so God tells him again to go to Nineveh. And this time, after all that's transpired... He's had a change of heart. God knew the lengths that he would have to go to 
to get Jonah to obey. But he was willing to do it. He's a God of second chances, of third chances, fourth chances. How many chances did he give Jonah here? How many miracles did he allow? Many that Jonah missed, but God kept wooing him. Didn't give up on him despite being so disobedient. Nineveh was an important city. A visit required three days, likely meaning that to, to walk through the entire city would require three days. It was a large city. So he went in and he proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Overturned meaning wiped out. So uh, we're not sure. Is that the message God told him to preach? Probably wasn't exactly like that, but that was Jonah's version of it. It was the idea that, Nineveh, you need to repent of your violence and of your evil and clinging to your idols, or God's judgment will come upon you. But Jonah preached this. It's this, got part of the message. We don't know exactly how much of it, but that's what he preached. What is that? Looks like eight words. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Eight simple words he preached. Okay, come on, how is that going to make a difference? What kind of a prophet is Jonah? Eight words, is, you walk through the city and proclaim these eight words, huh? How is that going to have any impact? What kind of a repentance, a call to repentance is that? But the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. Wow, just like these sailors, we see this same kind of spiritual readiness among the Ninevites. Though they were a violent people and idolaters, when they heard this simple eight-word message, they immediately believed and repented. The king himself takes off his robes, puts on sackcloth, and sits in the dust and then he declares that no one, everyone should fast, not just from food, but from water, not even drink anything. You can only live three days without water before you die. This was an extreme call. He said, pray urgently, call urgently on God. Let us give up our evil ways and our violence. Who knows? Perhaps God yet will relent and with compassion Turn from his anger so that we won't perish. And not only did he say that, no one shall eat anything. He, 
He said that of the herds and the flocks, they're going to fast as well. No food, no water for the animals. And yes, put on sackcloth and put it on your animals too. I mean, that seems like a little extreme, doesn't it? That you're going to cut out sackcloth and put it on all the sheep and all the goats and the chickens and the cows and all your animals. Isn't that a lot of hassle? I mean, isn't that's just a little too far, isn't it? Well, it just reflects what their heart was. Their heart was to urgently call upon the Lord and repent. They, they, knew, they knew that God was compassionate and they fell down before him hoping he would be compassionate to them. Wow. And Jonah wasn't, he didn't see it, did he? Couldn't even imagine that God might be at work in these people. He had his stereotype of what the Ninevites were like. And he would rather die than take the gospel to him until God changed his heart. Then he does go and pronounces an eight-word call to repentance. And it works spectacularly because God has prepared these people. What a contrast. Well, little Noah, what do you think of the uh, Jonah? What do you think of the story now? Well, Jonah obeyed, and wow, God used him. That's amazing. Yeah, it's not so bad to be called Jonah. The whole city repented when he preached to them. Hmm. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Oh, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That is, what I try, that is, why, that is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew your gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. So, Lord, just take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. I knew this would happen. They repented. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. So Jonah had a moment of repentance. But as soon as the Ninevites turned back to God, he became angry and again said, it's better for me to die than to see these Ninevites coming back to God. What a contrast. The prophet, who's supposed to be a man of God, the messenger of God, a righteous man, wants to die, wants nothing to do with God, is angry at God. And these Gentile Ninevites respond with such sensitive hearts to God. And then Jonah doesn't even answer God. God asks him, is it right for you to be angry? 
Jonah had gone out and sat down, made his shelter, and waited to see what would happen. Well, let's just see what God does here. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, Oh, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is! I'm so angry I wish I were dead. <sighs> yes! It's right for me to be angry. I would just, oh, I'm so angry I could die. But the Lord said, You, you have been concerned about this plant? Though you didn't tend it or make it grow, sprang up overnight and died overnight. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? So finally, Jonah does answer God when God asks about the plant now. And he's not too reverent toward God. All that Jonah, the man of God, is thinking about is this plant and the shade that's giving him. God says, you didn't tend that plant. It just grew. And you were very happy about that, weren't you? And then you got very angry when it died. Is it right that you're so angry? And shouldn't I, in contrast here, the contrast not between Jonah and the Gentiles, between Jonah and God. God said, Jonah, you're just concerned for yourself and this plant that you had nothing to do with. But me, shouldn't I be concerned about Nineveh? There's 120,000 people and animals. Should I not be concerned for them? Because they're my people. I created them. I tended their vine. You know the reason they responded to me? The reason they responded and were so spiritually sensitive? It's because I was the one that tended that vine, prepared it. They're my creation. And the next chapter? <laughs> That's it. The book ends there. What kind of ending is that? <laughs> so, little Jonah, how are you feeling now? And he's back weeping again. Oh, what a disgrace. Jonah was not a good man. He had a cold heart toward God and toward others. Why would you name your child Jonah? Well, what's amazing is God gives this story of contrast as a message. He could have just said, 
Israel, you need to be concerned about the Gentiles. And he did, did say that different places. In uh, Leviticus 19, he says, When the foreigner lives among you, treat him as one of your native born. Love him as you love yourselves. I am the Lord your God. So he commanded them to love the foreigner as themselves. But he also gives them this amazing story that's supposed to shock them into seeing, oh, this story, I think Jonah represents us as a nation. Yeah, we don't like the Ninevites. We don't care for any of the Gentile people. They're all evil, and God never would have anything to do with them. What's, what's this, what goes on here? Hmm. Seems that perhaps God is saying we should be concerned about these people, even the ones we hate the most. What a crazy story to communicate that truth. What amazing lengths God goes to to win not just his people's minds. He commanded them to do this, but he wanted to reach their heart. So he allows this story to happen. And not just a story. We know that Jesus uh, referred to Jonah, that he was in the belly of the fish for three days, and so the Son of Man would be. He didn't talk about Jonah as if he was a, a, some story, a little fairy tale. He referred to Jonah as a real person whose circumstances were real. We know this is a real story that happened. And in it, God is communicating this key lesson that we people are selfish, but that God cares about all the peoples of the world, even the ones we hate, and has chosen us as people to bring them to him. So this book, God's trying to get us all to see. He loves all peoples, not just the Jews, but all peoples are on his heart. And the people that we hate, he, he loves those people too. They're his creation. He's the potter, and they're the pot that he made. And he's chosen us. He could have gone and worked miracles in Nineveh so they would believe, but God's plan has always been used people to get to be his instrument to bring others to himself. I'd like us to listen to this song by Randy Stonehill and Phil Kagey. This is a favorite song of mine, very poignant song. And it's about, it was written for Compassion International about um, the poor children around the world. But as you listen to this, think of this also as a story about the, think of the poor children around the world who are hungry, not just for food, but for the truth of God, who live in unreached peoples where they've not yet heard. They don't have anybody among them that knows the gospel and is sharing it with them. So they're hungry for God's word, but there's no messenger there. I think this uh, song has some powerful uh, message about what our response is for those that are hungry for God, for food and hungry for God. Well, I'm going to move on to the next one. If you guys get it, just go ahead and play it, and we'll come back to it. Um, um, let me move on and, and talk about the next point of... That God wants us to use, use us, but he also 
wants to use us even among people that we hate. And who do Americans hate? Who would it be really hard for us to pray for? Well, I came across this a while back and was really amazed by it. There's a website that's called Adopt a Terrorist for Prayer. Yeah, what? when you first see it, you say, what? And it was this idea that God wants, God's love is for even people that we hate. And so they created this. And you, people sign up. This person, Umar Ud Hamaha, has been adopted by 14 people. And I'll read his bio here. Uh, Hamaha used to be a member of Al-Qaeda in the lands of the Islamic Maghreb. He is now the spokesperson for that organization, an offshoot group called the Movement for Unity and Jihad in West Africa. He participated in kidnapping, kidnappings of foreigners for ransom, including kidnapping of the Canadian diplomat Robert Fowler from Niamey, Niger, in December 2008. He has also made threats against Westerners in Mali and has been associated with the abduction of Europeans in the region. He was born in 1963. He's from Mali. The U.S. Department of Justice is offering $3 million for information leading to his location. Now, this website is not so that people can go and try to get $3 million. It's so that they will pray for him. So you sign up and pray. Listen to some of the prayers that are recorded here. Oh, that our mighty God of grace and love will surround Omar Odidi Hamaha so completely that that your Holy Spirit will permeate Omar's soul. Another prayer. We pray for Omar's heart to be changed that he will find hope, that he will know he can be forgiven. We pray that he understands what he has done and the good he could do instead, that God will change him into a powerful evangelist for Jesus Christ, that many of his friends and associates will see the change in him and be transformed as well. Brother Omar, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you and give you peace. Jesus loves you and so do we. This is God's kind of love. This is not human love. It only comes from God. But God commands us to love even our enemies. So he wants us to use to love even those that we hate. And he wants to use us as his agent to bring people to himself. Let's go back and listen to this song now. <laughs> For all the innocent ones Born into a world that's lost its heart For those who never learn to dream Because their hope is crushed Before they can start And we shake our fists at the air And say, if God is love How can this be fair? But we are his hands, we are his voice, we are the ones who must make the choice. And if it isn't now, tell me when. If it isn't you, then tell me who will save the children, who will save the children. 
and we are his hands we are his voice we are the ones who must make the choice it is 
so unfair that there are children and adults around the world that are sensitive to spiritual things, but just have not had an opportunity to hear the gospel. And But God has ordained to use people, us, and he'll use fumblers like Jonah to get the job done. He is so ready, but he needs people to do their part. Even people that we despise and hate, the terrorists and countries in the Middle East that Americans are just fed up with. But God has an enduring passion for them. He wants to use us and he wants to bring all peoples to himself. Then we need to ask the question, who's the author of Jonah? Most scholars say Jonah wrote it. And when we think about that, that changes so much. So Jonah wrote it with an ending like that. He chronicles all of his mistakes and leaves it ending where you don't know whether he changed his heart or not. I believe if he's the author that he did change his mind. And he allowed that book when the Holy Spirit moved him and worked through his personality, write the book of Jonah, that he included all those things and was willing. He, was, he turned out, he turned and repented and realized that his life was a message for the people of Israel. And he was willing. He was so committed to God, he offered his life to God to use however God wanted, even if it meant that he might have a reputation as being a disobedient prophet. Even if the story doesn't, give, doesn't show that he turned at the end, he offered himself to be used by God however God wanted. Now that's an amazing person. That's the reason I would name my child Jonah. Jonah, I want you to grow up to be so committed to God that you will offer your life to use be used by God however God wants. However God wants, even if it means you don't get any glory, maybe your reputation is made to look bad, but you're willing to endure it because you love God so much and have offered your life to serve him however he pleases. Yes, I would name my child Jonah, and that would be my prayer for him. And God is patiently looking for teachable people like Jonah. Yeah, he was kind of slow, kind of stubborn, but it appears at the end he did get it. People like Jonah willing to sacrifice their reputation because they've offered their whole life to God to use how he sees fit. And then the last lesson that we see in this, that God's an amazing and creative communicator, and we should be too in our communication with our children, in our communication with others when we share the gospel. God uses this incredible story to communicate so that it won't just get to our head, but this amazing story that will impact our heart. And if God communicates like that, he wants us to as well. Let's pray.
God, we are so selfish, and Lord, there's a third of the world yet that is unreached, has less than 2% Christian, and of that 2%, God, or of that one third of the world, anywhere from 10 to 20% of them don't have anybody at all trying to start churches among them. And Lord, we just confess that we've been like Jonah and been disobedient and not had compassion for all peoples like you do, Lord. We ask that you forgive us. And Lord, I ask that we'd all be like Jonah and we would offer our life to you with all of our mistakes and all of our stubbornness and all the ways where we have had cold hearts toward people when we should have had warm ones and all the times when we've been angry at you and haven't had your compassion toward people. God, we ask that you forgive us and you change us to where we begin to see people with your eyes and you see and see that you're at work all around the world among people that we think have no interest in you at all and yet you're at work. Lord, we just offer our lives. Help us to be like Jonah, that no matter what you do with our lives, we just offer it to you, the God, the Most High God. And we offer our life as a sacrifice before you to use however you see fit. In Jesus' name, amen.